Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. With us today, we are honored to have Eric Blank join us to talk about the future of renewable energy. Eric, welcome to Future of XYZ. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Greatly appreciate it and looking forward to the conversation. Well, I mean, you have a fascinating background. You've been in renewable energies for over 35 years. And in early 2021, you were appointed by the governor of Colorado and then, uh, I guess, confirmed by the Senate for a four-year term uh, as the chairman of the Colorado Public Utilities Commission. Um, I want to, just based on your background, you know, we'll get to where you see the future going. There's lots of momentum right now. Um, but before we even talk about your role, can can you give us what we're working with as a definition uh, of renewable energy? Yeah, sure. Uh, generally, it's uh, resources that may have some capital costs, but uh, no fuel costs. So it's uh, wind energy, which relies on the wind, solar energy, which relies on the sun, are the two uh, main ones, but there's others. Tidal power, which relies on the movement of ocean. Geothermal, which relies on heat on the earth. Hydroelectric, which uh, um, relies on the uh, movement of water. Um, so there, there's lots of renewables, and you know the definition can go back and forth uh, depending on how intrusive the investment is required to capture the renewable uh, resource. So, so what you're suggesting in, in, in a reasonably cynical manner, uh, as an economist with a degree from the London School of Economics, not to mention a legal degree from Yale, is is that in fact there is capital, there's economic implication for how we define renewables. It's not only about the fact that they are not necessarily finite uh, in, in, in their nature. Correct. Uh, the, the the fuel may be uh, uh, ongoing, but the, the cost is definitely uh, not zero. So exactly. Well, I think what's interesting about that definition, and I appreciate it because the EPA, at least in America, and the um, Environmental Protection Agency, which is our federal bureau for protection of the environment for all sensible purposes, is very, very specific about their definition and does not get into the economics. And yet, when we think about the movement towards renewables and everything that is it, we're trying to happen, and we're going to talk about this, um, there is obviously an investment that is required. And there are jobs that are needed. There is upskilling and training that is related to renewables. But I don't want to get too far there because I think that talks about where we are in our future. I mean, I want to talk about looking backwards a little bit, your 35-year history uh, in the state of Colorado um, on solar, on wind, and, and now in a public utilities commission capacity. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen uh, in the energy sector and especially towards renewables? And, and, and kind of where are we today? So when uh, I got into wind in 1999, almost uh, 23 years ago, and we formed a wind development company when there was no wind industry. I mean, there was basically zero uh, zero wind outside uh, California. And, uh, you know, we uh, we developed some of the first wind farms in the East and the Midwest. And uh, n now it's, uh, you know, $100 billion uh, dollar plus uh, industry. The costs have fallen 
you know, somewhere between a factor of 10 and a factor of 100, you know, one to two orders of magnitude. And a very similar thing for solar. We got into the solar business in 2008. There was no utility scale solar business outside California. And, you know, at one point we had uh, helped develop the largest operating solar projects in the Midwest, in the Mid-Atlantic, in Georgia, and Colorado. Um, and again, the cost of solar has come down by somewhere between one order of magnitude and two orders of magnitude. So the, I'd, I'd say the biggest change I've seen in my career is um, how far the costs have come down where something that was fundamentally uneconomic has turned into something that is economic. It's just cheaper in many instances and applications. I mean, basic economies of scale, though, isn't it? From a business perspective, the more adoption there is and the more innovation there is, um, the the more the more the costs come down because the more there's being produced is is that reasonable? Yeah, it, it, um, yeah, it's definitely economies of scale. It's technological improvement. It's just solving problems. You know, for 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 wind, for example, the taller the towers and the larger swept area of the blades, the more efficient it gets per machine. So like the cost per machine have gone up, but the output per machine has gone up by a factor of two to five times more quickly. And, uh, you know, and we're, we're just so much more efficient in terms of how we install, you know, solar facilities. So it's, you know, it's, you know, in some ways it's commoditizing uh, something. Uh, so economies of scale, technology, technological change, and just getting smarter. What is the role of what are the role of subsidies? I mean, in in the form of incentives by the government, whether federal or local or state, whether by grants and loans and other kind of programs or, or frankly, certificate trading. I mean, like, what is the role of subsidies in helping move uh, the change that you've seen along? Well, I mean, there is uh, policy support at all kinds of level, and I just say everything subsidized in this country. So yeah. <laughs> subsidized is maybe a tough word, but uh, you know, in uh, in wind, um, the fundamental driver was uh, the Energy Policy Act of 1992, uh, which was passed uh, by President George H. W. Bush, and you know, it took eight or ten years to fully get the commercialized commercialization of that technology started, but the wind production tax credit at the federal level is still a critical driver of the wind industry. And likewise, uh, the solar uh, investment tax credit was extended for eight years under President Obama in 2009 uh, as part of the American Recovery Act. So the federal tax credits are probably the single biggest driver of both wind and solar. And now you have the Inflation Reduction Act which now spreads those tax credits over eight or 10 other uh, other technologies, geothermal, capture and sequestration, uh, uh, you know, electric vehicles. So you, you really have a once in a generation opportunity with the Inflation Reduction Act uh, uh, to, to see the way forward. And of course there's other you know, real leadership um, at the city and state state level um, as well. But the, the the federal tax incentives are probably the the single most important driver. 
I, I want to come back to kind of this the, the local and state level, but I want to be glo- more global for a second because I think most people who are watching or listening to us talk about the future of renewable energy today have at least heard about the Paris Climate Agreement that was signed by uh, almost 100 countries in in 2015, and 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 is really looked at as the path forward, and it gets us as a, as the U.S. that we've reentered to net zero, net zero being net zero carbon emissions by the year 2050. Um, at COP27 this last fall, there was a discussion that for the world to meet the uh, climate objectives outlined in the Paris Climate Agreement, there would need to be at least $4 trillion a year of global investment and in innovations in renewable energies in order for us to achieve these goals, at least for the next you know, six to seven years. Does that seem like a realistic vision? Are we moving in that direction? Um, what do you, What is your take on that? So uh, as a state regulator, I will not uh, comment on uh, international climate exchanges. But what, I mean, what I could will say at the state level is, uh, you know, Colorado has uh, binding targets on our utilities to reduce uh, CO2 emissions by 80 percent. Uh, by uh, 2030, and I think our state legislature found that that was consistent with the requirements of the of the science and you know sort of other targets in 2050, and um, you know that will require really quite large uh, investments. And you know, for a state like Colorado, we're spending 10 or 15 billion dollars just over the next 10 years. Uh, an investment um, to, to to meet those targets, comply with state statute, and um, and because it's more or less economic, you know, um, at one point I hope we would be able to lower rates in nominal dollars, uh, but I I think we can make sure rates grow less slowly uh, than inflation. So I I I'm you know grounded in customer economics. The costs, you know, resource costs, and re- retaining an affordable, reliable um, electric system, energy system. So that that to me, that's that that's the next ten years, and it is. I mean, it is it is an enormous. Uh, it, it's an enormous transition. You know, in Colorado, is you know, I don't I don't know what two, three, four percent of the U.S. economy. So if we're spending, you know. $15 billion by the end of the decade, you know, you can multiply that by, you know, 20, 20 to 25 times. And, you know, you can see, you know, we're not that far away from a trillion dollars uh, in investment. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the International Energy Agency, I think, has said that, you know, obviously renewable electricity expansion is going to be doubling over the next period because of some of the agreements made. Um, and, yeah, in the U.S., of course, we are going state by state. You had mentioned before talking a lot about wind and solar, which, from my research at least, they are the top two uh, forms of renewable energy. And yet, although they are growing rapidly, they only account for about 5% of our energy um, production today in the U.S. Does that sound right? And how is Colorado um, uh, kind of fit into the 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 best of or worst uh, within the United States? And 
in your in your function today? Like, what are you doing to move Colorado forward within kind of best practices? So I, I'd say Colorado is, uh, well, I think uh, solar may be around 5%. I think wind is a little higher. Uh, and Colorado is definitely above the national average. Uh, uh, you know, we, we don't have the best wind. That's more in the, the middle of the country. We may not have the best solar because that's more in the, the southwest. But we may have among the best wind and solar. Uh, so, um, you know, we're, 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 <laughs> trying to lead the way, the way forward. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a, a small percentage off a very large base, but if you look at the, um, incremental, uh, wind and solar capacity, it's a very large, uh, percentage of, uh, of the new capacity. It's, uh, um, it's, yeah, maybe half or more in most places. So, I mean, it's just going to take time. And it has to be done in a way that's thoughtful, smart, creates affordable electricity, and is fair to, uh, you know, our most disadvantaged customers and the communities that uh, are going to bear the brunt of this transition. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complicated um, transition with real equity, affordability, reliability concerns that has to be done um correctly um and 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 probably with some notion of incrementalism so it makes sense because also i mean just talking about colorado i mean you guys are still the fifth largest crude oil producing state in the country seventh on natural gases i believe i mean you know while this transition is happening as you say it is the i won't say it's a slow burn but it is a transition and as with all transitions um, as you say, there are there's pain and 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 in the change. So, what are some of the things that, if you think outside of Colorado, you know, to other states and or other nations? I mean, China is an example where there is so much investment in renewables, but of course, that is at a fundamentally federal level. I mean, what are some of the places that you're looking at that are transitioning well, faster, better, uh, and saying what can we learn from that? Well, I'd say in Colorado, it turns out that most of our existing coal plants, uh, you know, seem to be aging and expensive. So we found that we can often economically retire them and replace them with a mix of, you know, peaking capacity, wind, solar, uh, and, you know, and some storage in ways that, you know, uh, are economic, uh, uh, maintain system reliability and, you know, and can reduce emissions. So it's like this win, win, win path forward. But if you look at China, I agree with you, they're building enormous amounts of new uh, renewable energy, but they're also continuing to build uh, new fossil fuel generation um, in enormous quantities. And, uh, you know, I, I, think it's going to, I mean, multi-trillion dollar investments uh, um, that um, I think are at risk and are going to make it very tough for them to, um, you know, move forward. So uh, I think this country and Colorado are much better positioned, um, you know, to find that affordable, reliable path uh, forward. 
it's 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 a fascinating kind of look at kind of pursuing two strategies simultaneously. And one of the things that I was fascinated to learn is that some of the path subsidies, let's call them, um, you know, chapter three thirteen as being one of them, is is simultaneously giving large oil and gas companies, for instance, credits where they're still producing fossil fuels in other states. And so there are always in change, uh, especially in business and and in, in major things that are demanded by so many people, i.e. energy, as one of the biggest consumables in our planet today, there are always what we call in business externalities, right? Unintended consequences. Um, one of the things that I think from your 35-year history and your role, obviously, at the Colorado Public Utilities Commission is trying, as you say, to find equitable distribution to try to move the needle forward in the course of the four short years that you're appointed to this role. Um, what are some of the things that you foresee coming down the pipeline, let's say in the next five years, the next 10 years, in terms of renewable energies and, and carbon reduction? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not my job to set the you know, future environmental path. Our state legislature has told us what we're doing in Colorado. And, you know, at the federal level, I think what the federal government has decided is a series of tax credits, incentives, funding support for a variety of technologies and, you know, including oil, gas, you know, coal. Uh, and our job as a state regulator or even at the federal level is to set the rules of the road so that competition can play out in a way that's, you know, again, it's uh, maybe a broke record, affordable, reliable, fair, uh, in a way that's consistent with, you know, the environmental goals that are set by either the U.S. Congress or the Colorado legislature. And um, I think, like I said before, the Inflation Reduction Act creates all these tax credits that have already been the key driver commercializing wind, the key driver commercializing solar, and now storage, geothermal, uh, uh, you know, energy efficient. I mean, it's just like there's like five of them, <laughs> and it's that competition, that technological change, that commercialization of uh, new technologies that has to occur in a way that's you know fair and, uh, you know, equitable to customers, investors, uh, technology providers, developers. So uh, that, that, that's the challenge to me of the next 10 years. For, it is for sure the challenge. And so, so let's do a quick over under, like besides wind and solar, what are you betting biggest on is going to really, and I know it's a little bit localized again, to your point about wind and solar and how they play and where they play, but at a global scale, where is your over under? Like, what is going to be the biggest surprise win of the next 10 years? You know, I think storage is going to uh, be coming along. But, you know, I don't, I mean, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I was investing, you know, my own personal money into the answer to that question. And now I don't have to, I, I mean, I, it's just not my job anymore uh, to, to predict winners and losers or, or step forward the winners and losers. My job is to let them compete and may the best technologies win. And, you know, 
Yeah, just to give you an answer, I think storage, lithium-ion battery storage is increasingly commercial. And and more broadly, you know, electric motors and vehicles, EVs uh, seem to be going forward. Uh, Heat pumps seem to be getting traction. You know, the geothermal uh, may increasingly uh, be an option. I wouldn't ignore capture and uh, sequestration technologies. Carbon, carbon capture. Yeah, carbon capture and sequestration. Hydrogen, uh, you know, in, in our financial models is like almost break even just with the $3 a kilogram uh, federal tax credit for 10 years. Wow. So... Uh, it's the Wild West again. It's the Wild West. It'd be... Uh, uh, I was out trying to make money. Now would be a good time, but uh, uh, this uh, <laughs> this job is uh, setting the rules of the road. So uh, you know, in a in a way, we're an umpire calling uh, balls and strikes, and uh, you know, trying to decide what's in front of us. Um, so, I'm so hopefully that's an answer without going. <laughs> <laughs> trying to pick it. It's not my job to pick the winners and the losers. It's a, it's a great answer. It, it kind of showcases the, the the playing field, which is what you're, again, setting the rules for and calling balls and strikes. As as we think about wrapping, Eric, um, there are obviously, uh, and still surprisingly, despite the science, there are climate change deniers. There are people who don't believe. However, with the warmest, you know, uh, winter on record in many ways, lowest snowfall, greatest snowfall, greatest rainfall. I mean, with so many climate-related incidences, I think people are beginning to really wake up to this is probably a thing. However, there are still naysayers. Obviously, there are climate ambitions that we are reaching towards for the betterment of the world and for people. There are also real energy security concerns, whether you believe in climate change or not. Um, I want to finish with the question to you. We've talked about where do you see it going the next five to 10 years. But when you look ahead, having had such a strong base, you know, for 35 years as an original pioneer of renewables, what is your greatest hope for the next 20 years? And in 20 years, where do you hope we are in terms of the future of renewable energy? Well, and I, I just start out saying, uh, I'm... I don't even think we need to fight over climate science anymore. My my biggest hope is that uh, there's now an economic regime in place where these set of technologies are just fundamentally cost effective. So my, I mean, it just seems like everything in this country is a partisan food fight, tribal warfare. And on this issue, I don't think there's a path forward unless we stop the partisan nonsense. There's just no path forward. This country has to come together to really uh, meaningfully move forward. So my greatest hope is that, um, you know, we, 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 we do it because it's economic and it's the, it's uh, cost effective, uh, n- not because one side or another wins the debate over climate science and you know, for the next five or 10 years, I think it is, I mean, at least in Colorado, it's this is not it's cost effective. And I think increasingly it's going to be that way everywhere. And I just hope we can move together as a country, you know, because it's the economic thing to do. Right. And uh, I just think we got to stop 
stop the, the you know, red versus blue food fight on this issue. And, um, you know, I think if you, and it, you know, someday if you can internalize the cost of carbon into world trade, I think it could be a real competitive advantage for this country as against China, which is, you know, still building the <laughs> carbon, uh, infrastructure at great cost. So, um, so that's my biggest hope. And, you know, I hope Colorado can help, uh, at least in a small way, uh, lead, lead, lead the way forward. You know, I, I feel like we're trying to build a purple state model a replicable national purple state model about how you do this affordable, reliably, fairly. Um, so that's my call. I'm not like, here to convince anybody on climate science. I love it. It's history. I mean, whatever, none of that. It's just, and you know, increasingly as you electrify transportation, uh, you know, you spread the fixed cost of the electric system over a larger, uh, sales base, you know, and, uh, you know, it turns out on the Eastern plains of Colorado, it's relatively cost effective to build wind and solar. And many of those communities want it and seek the economic development. So, you know, again, I just think there's a, a win, win, win bipartisan way forward. So that's, that's my greatest hope. We'll see. I, I, Eric, I think it's a wonderful vision for the future. And I really thank you for sharing your incredible depth of knowledge on the topic of the future of renewable energy with us on Future of XYZ today. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic uh, to appear with you. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, uh, keep going. I love your stuff. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. For everyone watching and listening, this has been episode three of our season four presented in partnership with Rhode Island PBS. You can find the video at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. You can find our podcast anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at Future of XYZ to stay up to date. We will see you again in two weeks. And in the meantime, if you like what you've heard, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Eric, again, keep up the awesome work in Colorado. Thank you. And everyone listening, thank you too. Likewise, you too. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>